good morning, church. How are you guys all doing this morning? Awesome, awesome. If I haven't had uh, the chance to meet you yet, uh, I would love to do so. My name is Chris, and I'm one of the leaders uh, here at West Village. Also have, I'm not the only one that teaches and preaches the Bible, but I get to do it a lot, and I'm super thankful for that. I love teaching and preaching the Bible. If you have a Bible, grab it. Uh, open it up to 1 John. That's where we're going to be this morning, 1 John chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, you can download a Bible app on your phone. As Andrew said, there are Bibles on the table, and those are our gift to uh, you. We've been going through, we typically go verse by verse through books of the Bible, and we have been going through the Gospel of Matthew for uh, some time. We're going to take a little bit of a... Thanks, man. Love you, Adam. Uh, we're going to take a little bit of a, a pause. We're going to hit pause on uh, going through the Gospel of Matthew, probably for about the next, I think we're seven weeks uh, of a pause. So this morning we're going to do a one-off in John chapter 4, uh, and then over the next, I think it's six, I should probably know this, but I'm pretty sure it's six, I'm going from memory here. Uh, the next six weeks we're actually going to do uh, a teaching series uh, whereby we're going to look at spiritual disciplines, uh, we're going to look at uh, what it means to uh, pray, what does it mean to practice uh, being filled with the Spirit, what does it mean to practice silence and solitude, uh, fasting, things of that nature. And so we're going to do that through the fall. Uh, and there's a whole story behind that, which I will unpack uh, probably in the next couple of weeks for you as to why we're, uh, we're going to go through that. And then we'll pick up uh, where we left off in the Gospel of Matthew. So John, uh, 1 John chapter 4, that's where uh, we are this morning. And um, really what uh, the big idea, oh, I'm still in Matthew. Whoa, I'm going to go to, I was about to start reading for you. Uh, the big idea that John is going to unpack for us this morning in his letter that he's writing is this idea, and uh, we kind of want to just spend some time talking about the idea, but then also the implications of the, the idea, this idea that God is love. He's going to say that very explicitly. He says that a lot in his book. If you ever need just a real uh, encouragement in your life, if you're ever just wondering where you stand with, uh, with Jesus, uh, read First uh, John, because it's uh, just so deeply encouraging. And so that's where, what he's going to unpack for us this morning is just this idea that, that God is indeed love, but then also the implications of what it looks like. So, so check this out with me. First John chapter 4, we're going to start in verse 7. Here's what, uh, here's what John writes. He says, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God. Because God is love. And I'll just read the whole text, and then we'll come back and unpack some of this. Uh, verse 9, he says, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only Son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but rather that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us. And his love is made complete in us. Would you bow your heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you. Uh, there's so much to be thankful for. Um, they're silly things, or they seem silly, at least on the surface, of just the blessing of um, living where we live, uh, the affluence that we have, uh, the good things in our lives. Those are good. We thank you for them. Your common grace is wonderful. We bask in it. Help us not to take that for granted. But Lord, there are much deeper things to be thankful for. The things we've been singing about, reading about, meditating on this morning, they are real, they are true. This isn't a myth. This isn't a fairy tale. This isn't a nice idea in the marketplace of ideas. This is the real world that we live in. 
You are good. You are love. You came. You died for us. Broken people who did not know you, who were not in pursuit of you, to reconcile us back to yourself. You're a good dad who loves his kids. As we unpack this text for some of us, some of the things we're going to talk about, we have heard it hundreds of times, maybe thousands of times. Spirit of God, we ask that you would take the word which you breathed and make it come alive in our hearts yet again. Some of us are here this morning and we don't know what we believe. Uh, Maybe we got dragged here by a family member, a mother, whatever the case may be. And we're going to endure this. So Spirit, I pray you would speak to that person as well and show them, peel back the veil, peel back uh, the, the heart that cannot see and cannot hear what is true. And speak in a way that is opening eyes and opening ears. We all need that this morning. We are all in some way, shape, or form living in denial of what is true about you and true about ourselves. And so, Spirit, you have something for all of us. And we just invite you. We invite you to speak. We thank you that when you speak, it is good. And it is for our edification. That Jesus would be glorified through our lives. And it's in his name we pray. And all God's children said, amen, amen. Now, I don't know... Uh, I don't use props very often when I preach. I really wasn't sure if I was going to do this or not. It feels kind of lame, but I'm going to do it anyway, okay? You can tell me afterwards if it's lame or not. Um, I don't, anybody know what kind of flower this is? Say that again. Sorry, I don't, I'm not a, I don't have a green thumb. A Gerber daisy, is that what it says? Okay. Gerber, Gerbra. Gerbra daisy. Okay, fantastic. Um, thank you. <clears throat> Learned something new. So when I was uh, younger, and, and maybe some of you will remember this, uh, maybe you've had an experience similar to this. Uh, there was a game that we used to play. I'm trying to remember exactly how old it was. I actually have a, a very vivid memory of playing this game. I think I was, uh, my parents, I grew up in a divorced family. My dad lived uh, in his backyard, backed onto uh, the elementary school that I went to, uh, the, the kind of property from there. And I remember I used to go play in that schoolyard all the time. And I can remember this one Saturday very vividly. I was starting to get a little bit older. I think I was in probably grade six or grade seven. And I started to get... You know, you, you, Forgive me if you're in here and you're that age. It started to get a little bit awkward, right? Like you start to, you know, hormones or things are happening and you start to have feelings and you don't know what to do with them. And if you like a girl, you just kick her, pull her hair, spit on her, that kind of thing, right? Just me, okay? And so I remember vividly walking in the the field and there was this game that I used to play. There was one girl in particular. Her name is not Kelly. uh, And I don't actually remember her name because once I met Kelly, I forgot all other women's name uh, for all of, of human history. But... But I would walk uh, through the field. It was, you know, I, the weekends I was with my dad, I would go back there and I would pick these flowers and I would play this game. Does anyone know where this is going? You know where this is going, right? You pick a flower and you would say, he loves me. This isn't a flower. What's this called, Grace? What is one of the, a petal? Petal, okay. So he loves me, he loves me not. That's right. Or she, in my case, loves me. There you go. You see where this is going, right? She loves me not. And I actually had this like deep, deep belief, this almost like this burden, this angst, that if I could kind of get it, I would actually, sometimes I would do this, like it would be the last petal, she loves me not, and I'd be like, whoa, wait a minute, no, no, you know, loves me not, loves me, I'm good, I'm good, 
And, and that is how I would uh, kind of connect in my heart to young gals. And I would actually put a little bit of faith, hope, and trust in that is sick and perverse as that is. But what, what John is talking about here in John chapter, 1 John chapter 4 is this idea of love. And he makes this radical claim. You see it right here in the first couple of verses we read. It says this in verse 7. Dear friends, let us, uh, let us love one another for love comes from God. If you're a Bible underliner, that's a great line to underline. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. That's another good one to underline. Whoever does not love does not know God. That's a great one to underline too. Here's why. Because God is love. Also a good one to underline. Okay, underline the whole thing. He makes a radical claim here about the very nature and essence of God. What does he say? He says that God is love. God is love. Now I want to be really clear about something here. Because I think we can sometimes, oftentimes, certainly in our culture, misunderstand what is being said here by the Apostle John. What he's not saying is love is God. Okay, it's, it's very important. Because I think sometimes we can hear uh, what John is saying here, and our natural proclivity will be to start to make God in our own image. So we have an idea of what love is. We have an idea of what love looks like. We have our own, you know, heavenly or, uh, or uh, earthly definition of what love is. We put our own parameters on it. We put our own ideas to, to what love is, and then we attach those to God. And so we hear what John is saying here in 1 John chapter 4, where he says God is love, and we say, okay, well, that must be what God is like. But that's not actually what John is saying. He's going to define what the love of God looks like. We'll get to that in just a second. But it's so important that you see what John is saying here. He's saying that the whole concept, the whole idea of love completely and utterly originates with God. Now, again, we, we live in a world where this idea of love is, is completely jacked up, right? We, we have all kinds of ideas, all kinds of notions about what love is. And, and I mean, in a lot of ways, this silly game that we played as kids with, uh, you know, a significant other, and if they're going to love us, that, that actually, in, in a lot of ways, typifies the way that our world defines what love is. I mean, I would, I would contend, and I don't think you'd be a stretch to, uh, to agree with me, that when we think of love in, in the sense of how our culture defines love, for the most part, not always, but for the most part, it's contractual in nature. I will love you if you will give me what I want. Our relationship with other people, our our, uh, our love relationship with other people, I'm not even talking about romantic love, just our, our willingness to connect with another human being is often predicated on what they can do for us. So I will love you to the degree that you meet my needs. I will be nice to my neighbor to the degree that they are worthy of me being nice to them. Uh, we see this even in the context of the marriage relationship. Even though the marriage relationship is supposed to be forever, it's supposed to be covenantal, it's supposed to be radical, self-giving, other-centered, till death to us part kind of love, oftentimes what we see culturally is that I will love you as long as you're lovable. And the second you become unlovable, I'm out. Looking for a new relationship, looking for a new spouse, as soon as things get hard. And so often, that is how we understand love. But what happens here, what we see here in 1 John chapter 4, is that John comes in, God comes in, and he completely blows up our categories for love. See, we've been taught, we've been told that love exists within us. That if you can just look inside yourself far enough, deep enough, you will find love. 
But that's not what John is saying here. In fact, he's saying the opposite of that. He's saying, look at what he's saying. He's saying God is love. You see, love did not originate with you. He says it right here. He says love comes from God. In fact, the only reason we even have the ability, the capacity to love, the desire to receive love is because we've been made in the image and likeness of God. If there's no God, there's no love. I mean, I mean, just think about this with me. I don't know if you've ever, if you delve into these types of conversations, it's a little philosophical, it's early, but bear with me. Imagine just for a second, let's play this out. Let's pretend there is no God, that this universe is just a giant cosmic accident. Then what is love? What is it? It's nothing. It's just a set of chemical reactions that happen in your brain that cause you to feel a certain thing, and we give it the word love. But it doesn't actually mean anything. I, I remember actually, uh, this is probably a couple of years ago now, I was sitting around the campfire, camping with a bunch of parents from our kids' elementary school. One of my friends there, Mike, who I've known for a long time, and you know, I often refer to him as my atheist buddy Mike. He's my atheist buddy Mike, and we're sitting around the campfire, and, and I just said, so Mike, if you don't believe there's a God, then then help me understand what love is. Because from what I can tell, based on the worldview, the, the, the world, the way you see it, there's actually no such thing as love. Now, bear in mind, his wife was sitting right there. Said, so correct me if I'm wrong, but love is, is really just a set of chemical reactions that happen in your brain, and they just are what they are. That's right. That's right. Now, now we hear that, and I think we go, that doesn't make sense of the world as we see it. Why is that? Because we know it's not true. In, in our hearts, there's this longing for love. There's this longing to give love, and there's this longing to receive love. Why is that? Well, that is because of what John says here in verses 7 and 8. He says that God is love, and that all love comes from God. And, and the, the message of Christianity, what Christianity is pitching for us right here in these verses is so radically different than any other worldview, any other religion. It's interesting, if you go through uh, the scriptures and you start to look at all the different ways that God is addressed, that, that, that he's named or that he's talked about, love is one of the adjectives, it's actually one of the names used to describe God. Christianity sets itself apart in that it's the only religion, the only worldview, the only philosophy that says that love originated with God, that God himself is love. Every other religion, every other worldview, every other philosophy says something to the effect of you have to, your relationship with God, it's predicated on you mustering something up within you. You have to muster up obedience. You have to muster up religious performance. You have to muster up trying really, really hard to be a good person. You have to try really, really hard to pursue God. Christianity comes in and it says the complete opposite. It doesn't start with you. It starts with God because God is love. Now, what is the love that God is? What does it look like? Well, look at what John says in the next couple of verses. Verse 10 how God showed his love among us. He sent his, only, uh, his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. And then verse 10, this is what he says. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that God loved us. And he says it again. He says, and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice 
for our sins. So one of the questions that people ask all the time is, how can I know God? How can I know that God actually loves me? Well, look at what John says. He says, you can tell right here, we can actually know exactly what God is like. We can actually know exactly what his love looks like because he showed his love among us. And then look at what he says. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. How does God show his love? He sends Jesus. There's this beautiful reality that John is unpacking for us, and that is this, that God comes in pursuit of those who are running away from him. In fact, he says that in the next verse. He says, this is what God's love looks like. It's not that we loved God. The, at the very heart of the Christian gospel is this idea, the Christian story is this idea that God made us. He breathed his very breath into us. We've been made in God's image and we've been made in his likeness. And the reason that he made us is so that we could know him, so that we could enjoy him, so that we could have relationship with him. But at the beginning of God's story, we see this truth that, that humanity walks away from God. They walk away from relationship. And instead of choosing God, they choose rebellion. And here's the reality that we all have to face at some point in our lives. We are all desperate to experience the kind of love that God always intended for us to have. The way that Solomon uh, talks about this in the book of Ecclesiastes is he says that God has set eternity on the hearts of men. That there's this longing in the soul to be loved. To be loved. And think about this with me for a second. How many of the problems in our lives are predicated on us attempting to satisfy that longing? Think about all the marriages that have busted up. Think about all the gals that go from guy to guy trying to find love. Think about all the guys that go from gal to gal trying to find love. Think about all the people that struggle with substance abuse because they feel like there's this brokenness in their heart that they just can't seem to resolve. Think about all the dudes that wear suits or the gals that wear power suits and they just work 50, 60, 70, 80 hours a week to try and prove themselves, to try and accomplish something. Think about the financial crisis that exists in the Western world right now whereby people literally have indebted themselves to the degree that they will never be able to pay it all back, any of it back. Why? Because they're trying to get something to satisfy their hearts. Think about why when you go into work and you have to face that boss and it causes anxiety, you have that emotion because you're desperate for approval. You long to be loved. And what John is saying here, and don't miss this, God is love. Some of you are running around trying to figure out how to be loved. Good news. Good news, according to what John is saying here, 
It's beautiful, friends. Lean in. Lean in. This is the best news you're going to hear all week. You're loved. You're perfectly loved. According to the gospel, and, and this is where it gets real here for just a minute, okay? Lean in with me here. We're going to get real here for just a second, okay? There's nothing you could ever do that would cause God to love you more, and there's nothing you could ever do to cause God to love you less. Look at what he says in the next verse. So verse 9, he says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that, uh, that we might live through him. Okay, so we know that God loves us. You're perfectly loved. You don't have to shop around anymore. You don't have to work hard to earn it. You don't have to try and satisfy an eternal longing with temporary things because God is offering you the declaration that your soul longs for and desires that you are completely loved. But look at what he says in the next verse. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. What is John saying here about the love of God? It's a beautiful picture. Here's what he's saying. He's saying the reality is this. God is good. He's perfect. He's holy. We are not. Right? This is what Andrew's talking about when he says like we're we're masochists, right? Because you come to West Village on a Sunday, and what's Chris going to say? You are jacked up, right? You're broken. You're a hot mess. I'm a hot mess. That's the very essence of the church. You hear people all the time say, man, I don't like the church. Church full of hypocrites. I'm like, yes. It's led by hypocrites. It's full of hypocrites. That's the whole point of the Christian gospel, that we aren't good. God is good. So stop looking at the church to meet your needs and start looking at God to meet your needs because the church sucks, right? Huh? Or is it just this one? I don't know. Like, okay. But here's, here's the beautiful reality of what John is saying about the love of God, that God loves you so much. His love is so uh, radical. It's so other-centered. It's so self-giving. It's so not about him. We see that in the very nature of the Trinity. We don't have time to unpack that this morning, but look at what he says. He says that he sends his own son as an atoning sacrifice. For what? For our sins. Here's what he's saying, and this isn't popular. This doesn't sell well in 2018. We are broken. We are messed up. God is good. We have sinned, but God doesn't leave us there. Jesus comes. He lives the perfect life that we should have lived. He dies a horrible death. This is the whole point of Jesus going to the cross. On the cross, Jesus became our sin. He took our sin. This is what the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And there's this beautiful reality. If you know the, the story of Jesus going, it's painful. It's hard to look at. It's hard to think about. It even causes us pain to talk about. But where Jesus says on the cross, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And in that moment, something is happening whereby, and I don't know how to understand it in physical terms, this is a spiritual reality that is taking place when Jesus goes to the cross, whereby he actually becomes our sin. That Jesus, the Son, and the Father, who have known perfect relationship for all of eternity, in that moment, the Father actually turns his face away from Jesus. Why? Because a holy God could not look at all of our sin. All of it. The Apostle Paul says Jesus became, in that moment, he became our sin. But there's a beautiful reality that comes with it. And this is what we've been singing about. 
we become the righteousness of Christ, the perfect, the perfectness of Jesus. It doesn't mean we live perfectly, but it means in the sight of God, we have been, the theological term is justified or made right. Now, this is where this gets real. You hear that. And if you're anything like me, saying songs, you hear this message, you read about these truths, and it's so hard to receive it. Here's why. Because you know how unworthy you are. You, you know how broken you are, that, that God would be so kind. It might not be, it might be subconscious, subconsciously happening in your heart. You know how broken you are. You can't fathom a God who would be so kind. And so we push it away. This is the kind of love we need more than anything. See, what John is saying here, hang with me. God looks at you, not at your best, and says, man, I sure am glad they're on my team. He looks at you at your absolute worst possible moment. And because he is good and because he is love, he says, I will send my son. I was having coffee with uh, a friend of mine, Tim Tim Sparrow, who leads a community group at West Village Sanitary. We, we were just talking about Jesus. We were just talking about the gospel together. And it was a wonderful conversation. And Tim said something to me, and it was real timely and real good. He said, Chris, I think this is what the Apostle Paul means in Ephesians 5. In Ephesians 5, the Apostle Paul is talking about the marriage relationship and how it's, he uses this word mystery, or the Greek word is mysterion. And he says, well, there's this mystery that takes place when two become one, and it's a picture of Jesus' relationship with the church. And he said, I think this is... This is why the gospel is so great. And he was talking about his wife, Michelle. He says, nobody on planet Earth knows me like Michelle knows me. She knows, I mean, she doesn't know everything about me in the way that God knows everything about me, but she knows, like, she knows me better than anyone else. She sees me at my absolute worst. And she looks at me when I'm at my worst, and in that moment, she, she probably everything in her wants to walk, right? But she doesn't. She stays. She still loves me. And ironically enough, I was sitting across the table. This was on Friday morning, and the night before, my wife and I had had a fight, and I was still holding a grudge, and I was trying really, really hard to get over it. In that moment, that grudge just melts away, obviously, because this is what God's love is like. See, some of us, we don't know what that feels like. And we've been in pursuit of a love like that for our whole lives and we can never, ever find it. For some of you, it's left you broken, disheveled, it's destroyed your marriage, maybe it's destroyed your family. For some of you, maybe you're destroying your life. And for, you know, in some of the ways this works itself out is in very, very socially acceptable ways. But it's still like a cancer to the soul. And John is saying here that God is love, that Jesus proved that God is love by giving his life for you. And right now, 
All of us need to hear this because all of us need to receive the love of Jesus into our lives. For some of us, it's the first time. For some of us, we're going to need it right now, and we're going to need it five minutes from now, and we're going to need it when we're in line at Costco after this, and we're going to need it, and we're going to need it, and we're going to need it. But that's what John is saying. It goes on and he says this. Look at verse 11. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also ought to love one another. Dear friends, since God loved us, we also, highlight this word, ought to love one another. Now what John is not saying here, let me just be really clear here, is because you've been loved by God, you have better love other people. What, what John is saying here is, Because you've been loved by God, the natural outflow of being loved by a God who is indeed love is that you will love other people. So in other words, what what John is saying here is, is Christians ought to love one another in the same way that a fish ought to swim. It's just what they do. It's the natural response to what's been done. What John is giving us here is an identity statement. And this is like This is kind of mind-blowing, life-altering, cataclysmic stuff that we just kind of read and don't really think a whole lot about. But just think about this with me. This this necessitates a little bit of caffeine or some thought or just just kind of perk up here for a second. If God is love and God demonstrates his love for us in this, sending Jesus to die on the cross, taking our sin, we become his righteousness. John doesn't unpack all this here, but the Spirit of God fills us, gives us a new heart. We now have in us the supernatural love that God is. It's not that we are God, but we've received a supernatural heart that now has the capacity to, now get this here, this is not what John is saying. He's saying you can do more than just be nice to other people for 90 minutes. You can do more than just walk into a building, shake some hands, kiss a few babies, sit in a dark theater together, smile, grit your teeth and bear it, and then go home and complain about all the people. You can do more than that. You can do more than just share a meal once a week. Well, really, it's kind of like twice a week because the other weeks you kind of don't feel like going. You you can do more than just endure. What, What he's saying here is you have a new identity. Because you have received, you are rich in love. You have received love that is unfathomable. Love like crazy. One of the the words that is used to describe the the church throughout the Bible is the word family, that God is our father, we've been adopted into his family, and we are brothers and sisters. And we talk about that around here a lot. We say all the time, West Village is our family. Welcome, family. Good morning, family. It's great to be part of the family. Come join the family. We are a family. It's one of our isms, right? It's one of our isms. Here's what that doesn't mean. We're a bunch of like-minded people who have a lot of common interests who happened to go to the same place on Sunday morning. No, no, no. What this means is we are a bunch of people who have been bought and redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And what makes us family isn't that we are the same. It's that Jesus is changing and transforming us. It's that even if my brothers and my sisters and myself have a disagreement, we don't walk. Because Jesus doesn't walk on us. When life gets hard and stuff hits the fan as it inevitably will, we endure. We walk this out together. We get, we roll up our sleeves. We get our hands dirty with one another. We, we endure. 
We endure annoying kids, and there are some here. Right? We, we, <laughs> we, we endure our idiosyncrasies. We don't just endure, though. We actually love. We love despite. Why? Because that is what Jesus has done for us, and he's given us a new heart. And so what makes us a hot mess, a broken, dysfunctional, Jerry Springer-like family is the grace of Jesus. It binds us together. And so if you're new here, I mean, that's what we're trying to be. We're very imperfect, as you will, you will come to learn very quickly. But together, as a community, this is what we're in pursuit of. Together, in a as a community, we're asking the Spirit of God to change and transform us, to make us more and more day by day like the Lord Jesus, that we would actually be able to love one another. No. Close, I'll invite the band to come up as I close. Verse 12, John says this, no one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. There's this beautiful reality to what the gospel does in us. It changes us and transforms us from the inside out. As we say around here a lot, God wants to do through us what he is doing in us. And look at what he says, right? We hear that, I don't know if you have non-Christian friends, but I have people that say this all the time. I would believe in God if I could just see him. I don't know if you've ever heard anyone say that. Look at what John says here, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Jesus says things like this, John chapter 13, John chapter 17. If you love one another with this radical, self-giving, other-centered love, here's what our world gets to see. They get to see Jesus. They actually get to see Jesus. This is the Apostle Paul, Ephesians 1, right? He says, the church is the body of Christ of which he is the head. We are filled with the Spirit. We're loving each other radically. We're, we're pursuing one another. We're showing grace to one another. Our lives are starting to look more and more like what Jesus has done for us. We love each other like family. We love those around us as though they were the lost children of God. We start to pursue others in the same way Jesus has pursued us. We, we lay down our preferences in the same way that Jesus did. We, 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 we reflect the heart of Jesus. And what does that do? It shows our world what God is like. That's what we want to be as a church. We want to be, it's really simple, we want to love Jesus a lot because he's loved us so well. We want to love each other like family and we want to love those around us as though they were the lost children of God. Why? Because of the cross. Because of the cross. The cross is the center of where all of this love is made manifest. It's at the cross where we see the grace of Jesus, we see the mercy of Jesus, we see the justice of Jesus. The cross is the centerpiece of the story of God. And if you ever doubt that God loves you, just look to the cross. If you ever doubt whether God is good, just look to the cross. If you ever doubt whether you are worthy of receiving the love of Jesus, be reminded that it's not about you, 
It's about the God who came to love you, to rescue you, to pursue you. And you see that perfectly at the cross. And so we're going to respond to Jesus. We're going to respond to his grace and mercy. We're going to respond in a couple of different ways. One of the ways we're going to respond is through singing. The band's going to continue to lead us in song. We're going to respond by giving. And as Andrew said, if this is your church and you're a follower of Jesus, then give as Jesus gave. And we're going to respond in taking communion. There's going to be two stations up here at the front. Uh, at each station will be a cracker, uh, wine or juice, whichever you would prefer. You take the cracker, which represents the broken body of Jesus. You dip it in the wine or the juice, which represents the blood of Jesus. And this is our opportunity to be reminded that God indeed loves us. That God indeed gave his life for us. If you're here this morning and you're not a follower of Jesus, then we would invite you to give your life to Jesus and then come and take communion with us. But communion is a time for those of us who have put their faith and hope and trust in Jesus to come and remember what Jesus has done for them. So let me pray for us. Jesus, we thank you. Again, we thank you for how you've loved us so well. We thank you for how we never have to wonder, do you love us? Do you love us not? You love us. You love us. You love us. You love us. That never changes. we, We need to experience that. Uh, that needs to move from just us knowing about it to us actually living in light of it to feeling it in our hearts. And so, Spirit of God, we invite you to, to press that deep into our hearts that we would actually believe it. That we would stop trading your love for lesser loves. Lord, thank you again. Thank you again, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.